to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, good morning. So the title of today's message is In God We Boast. In God We Boast. Psalm 44, verse 8 tells us, In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. Selah. And that, that subscription there, Selah, means to meditate, to consider, to mull it over, to um, think about it. To, um, to consider it. Are we boasting in, in the Lord? Are we boasting in other things? You know, our, our, actually our motto, our national motto is in God we trust. And that was established in 1956 by uh, President Eisenhower and I made that our national motto and it's on our uh, coins and on our 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 bills in God we trust and that was a foundational thing for this country that was a foundational thing that we couldn't do it that we didn't have all the answers as human beings and as a government that they needed to go to God to really get the direction and and discernment about things but what has been happening and maybe in this country in the past 50 60 years has been a pull away from God. You know, Pastor Vinny spoke about it in his, in his announcement, and this is why we're really anxious to see if the children will come during the summer on Wednesdays and get an extra hour or so of um, you know, biblical instruction for their lives because they are up against uh, so much in the, in the public schools and in the you know, on, in the, on the playgrounds and, you know, everywhere that they go. And uh, we want to be able to give our, our children um, the ability to have answers, you know, have answers. Why are things happening in the world and, and things like that, things that their parents would ask or their friends would ask. Um, and so, yes, in God we trust was, is ingrained in our national motto, but is it ingrained in each and every citizen each and every person there's a there's a poll that came out that shows that things have been actually in decline in although the vast majority of adults believe in god 81 percent or so uh, in the latest poll this is just in may of 22 it's actually the lowest that it's been in years between 1944 and 2011, more than 90% of Americans believed in God. But this finds that it's down to 81%. And it's a big drop. It's a big drop. And when you go into the specifics of the demographics, they show that you know, amongst younger people, it's even lower than that but on an average, so it's 81%. But what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in God? You know, and just a few facts 
that you know it, it's just 17% say they admit, readily admit they do not believe in God. And when they first asked this question in 1944 and in, again in 48 and in the 50s and the 60s, it was consistently in the high 90s, 98% believed in God. And then it kept dropping through the, the subsequent decades. But what does it mean to believe in God? What does it mean to trust in God? You know, when they broke it down a little bit further, it seems as though belief in God does not equal trusting in God necessarily. You know, although a, a majority of Americans believe in God and some believe that He answers prayers, he answers prayers, others don't. And others believe that He hears our prayers, but doesn't intervene or doesn't guide and direct us. And so, is that a relationship consistent with what the Bible says about God? You know, and so, we're going to talk a little bit today about, about why, we, why should we boast in God? Why should we boast of God? And why should we Give him all the glory. You know, in, in the different versions of the Bible, that word boast is, is translated glory. And do we give the glory to God or we, do we give it to ourselves? And, you know, when, when we talk about boasting, it reminds me, it makes me think of social media and, you know, the fact that, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those things, they're, they're kind of the, the arena of the boaster, aren't they? You know, you, you, have, you have people that are, you know, maybe, maybe you know them, maybe they're just friends um, that you don't really know, but, they're, but constantly posting these things, just looking for a response, right? Looking for a reaction, looking for those positive comments. So they... So they boast on social media in order to wait to see those flattering comments come pouring in. So they they'll put up a picture of of themselves and they'll just and you know just wait wait and see what people say and you know and people are usually very kind and say oh how beautiful or things like that and you know and it, so it's a boasting thing. But there's been surveys that say that boasting isn't really a very attractive trait. But why, so why do we do it? Well, I think it goes back to the fact that there's a decline in us trusting in God. There's a decline in us boasting in the things of God and we put all of that on ourselves. It's interesting that if you're not getting enough likes on Facebook, you can actually buy likes. You can buy 800 likes for 14.99, you can buy 200 likes for 4.99. A thousand likes for eighteen ninety nine, isn't that amazing? And they're high quality likes, and they're engaging users. So, and just in case you need more likes, you can go out and you can purchase likes. And if you feel like you know you're boasting, and you know that it's not really that attractive. There's something now out called humble brag. Anybody hear about humble bragging? <laughs> yes. So it's a new term. It's, it, this is true. 100% true. Merriam-Webster defines humble brag 
as to make a seemingly modest, self-critical, or casual statement or reference that is meant to draw attention to one's admirable or impressive qualities or achievements. So it's like, it's, it's like an oxymoron in one word. Modest, self-critical, or casual statements that are meant to draw people's attention to you and what you've achieved, what you've accomplished, who you are. So people may try to kind of cover it up, but we recognize boasting when we see it. We recognize bragging when we see it. And I think it's because people have come, become much more reliant on themselves and much less reliant on God. You know, the songs that we sang this morning talk about about trusting in God, right? About knowing that we can't do it on our own. Knowing that, that we need God with us to get through this life, to get through all of the difficult things. And so when people rely on themselves, when people, and we all do it, when people when people are more confident and reliant on themselves and less on God, they're going to boast of themselves. But Jeremiah 9 tells us that, you know, as the nation was kind of, uh, you know, going under and, and following the idols and, and following their own ways that, and following their own wisdom, that there was a warning. There's a warning here from God. And in the NIV, this is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So, Boasting, you know, has been, you know, frequently used in the Old and New Testaments. According to Baker's Evangelical Dictionary, it says, the concept of boasting is found frequently in the Old and New Testaments. The object of boasting determines its nature. If it's, a, if it's God or the commendable qualities of others, then boasting can be proper. But it's, if it's wrongly applied to oneself, then boasting is improper improper. So as we look at the entire scope of the Bible and what it says about boasting, it's really summed up in this one verse by the Apostle Paul that says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Corinth and his two letters um, were a, a lot of, there was a lot of correction going on in what he wrote to them. A lot of correction of, uh, of wrong uh, doctrine, wrong theology, and also about them misapplying the scriptures or, or just uh, you know, not living godly lives. And so he had to talk to them about a lot of these things. And in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, you're boasting about this is terrible. When there was, a, when there was sin going on in the church... Let's just say it like it is. There was sin going on in the church at the time. And instead of the people and the leaders rebuking and guiding and directing them out of that sinful lifestyle, they kind of just they let it go. 
And I was encouraged last night speaking to a, 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 a godly person that I know well, that I trust and, and uh, admire, that maybe the church doesn't speak about this enough. Maybe we don't want to offend people. And so we let people go in their sin and we don't do anything about it, whether it's as a brother or sister or even sometimes as leaders in the church. And so I was kind of, you know, I was kind of taken with that. And I see that here Paul talks about this, that there was a sinful situation going on in the church of Corinth that no one was doing anything about. They were just letting it go. And he says, your boasting about this is terrible. Do you realize that sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? You're glorying in this sin. You're allowing this sin to continue in the church. And guess what it's doing? It's infiltrating throughout the body of Christ. And it's pulling people away from God. And so I think we should be encouraged that, you know, we we speak the truth in love, the Bible says, right? And then if we see someone that's going down a wrong path, that we encourage them, right? And we speak to them in love, guiding them. And we would hope that someone would do the same for us. Jeremiah 9 tells us here that that there's, there's a, a boasting that people would do, tend to do as opposed to boasting or glorying in the things of God. And in the first couple of verses of Jeremiah 9 in, in verses 3 through 6, he speaks about this reason why they were boasting of themselves or glorying in themselves. Guess why? Because they didn't know God. They didn't know God. So our desire here, and as Christians, our our main purpose in life is to know God. Is to know Him better. Is to know Him and then make Him known to others. So that people will know God and they won't boast in their sin. Knowing God helps save us from those things. And Jeremiah wants, was giving counsel. He was, saying, he was saying, don't boast in the things of the world. Don't boast in your strength or your wisdom or your riches. Boast of God. So the first problem that he addresses here is boasting about wisdom. Right? And what's wrong with wisdom? We want to all be wise, right? We want to all have wisdom. But the problem is, what wisdom are we using? Are we using the wisdom of God or are we using our own wisdom? You know, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, I did not come with excellent of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to, do, to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in meekness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, 
but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. So this is what we want to boast in. This is what we want to be telling people. Not our own wisdom, the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. So the first step to that is to know God and to know His Word. In Proverbs, which is one of the wisdom books in the Bible where we can gain much understanding of who God is, His character, and also our nature, which we always need to know better and more of because we tend to um, kind of uh, maybe disguise the, the ugly things in our nature. But the book of Proverbs gives us instruction. It says in Proverbs 2, verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, then incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek for her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Wow, there it is. Understanding and and knowing God. Right there. But what does it take? It's receiving the Word, right? It's receiving the Word of God and treasuring those things. So what are we considering a priority in our lives? What are we considering the most important thing? You know, the things that we treasure are the things that we consider important. Is God's Word important to us? Is it something that we put as a priority? And then as we incline our ear to the wisdom that's in the Scriptures, that means, that means are we not only listening, but are we also applying? Because applying our heart is now living it out. It's living it out. And then, you know, crying out for discernment. How many times do we need wisdom from God to discern between right and wrong that you know some of those gray areas or some of the things in our life that we aren't sure of so we cry out do we cry out for that do we lift our voice in prayer for understanding and do we consider it a treasure valuable that's what really determines our path in this life what we consider most valuable you know, and the, you know, the Scripture always speaks about the most valuable things. You know, silver and gold and hidden treasures. Those things that, that you, know, in the, you know, in the physical world, people consider the most important things. But in, the spirit, in a spiritual sense, also, this is talking about wisdom. Wisdom from God. Wisdom from God. Do we consider that a treasure? And, and, then, and then the benefit that comes from that. You will understand the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the, 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 the right aspect of who God is, the, the reverence for God. Understanding His holiness. You know, one of the songs we sang today about talked about you know, our... our uh, just a feeling we weren't worthy, right? That because of our sin, that we're not worthy to come before Him. But yet, He's taken that sin away, right? He's, uh, for those who are saved, he's, he's covered it. 
He's allowed us to now have entrance into the throne of God so that we can worship Him freely. But have we done that? Have we done that? Do we still feel unworthy? Do we still feel dirty before Him? Or do we know that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as it says in the Bible. And that cleansing is that daily thing, right? It's that daily thing, that washing, so that we can now we can feel worthy to come before Him. You know, and we all sense that. But some, some in the world don't sense that. There's no shame. There is no sense of sin. You know, and you know, we, we talk often how the world and the culture has kind of redefined sin so that a lot of things that used to be very commonly known you know, as sin, and again, that word isn't even used, missing the mark or, or doing things uh, you know, against God, re- they've been redefined and they're not sin anymore. And so when you even, how difficult is it as believers to go to someone and to say, you know, listen, I, I love you. I want the best for you. I want to I show you, you know, how to have a relationship with God, but your, your lifestyle is a sinful lifestyle. And, and they'll say, hey, wait a minute, that's not sin. That's just who I am. And so we have a difficult time now maybe trying to address those things to people that we love. And yet we're still called to do that, right? The church in Corinth was just allowing it, was condoning it, right? And so, so are we boasting of our wisdom? You know, back to Jeremiah 9, it says, don't boast of your strength. Don't boast of your strength. And what's wrong with being strong? Again, seemingly positive things that, that now have been taken to another level. Are we boasting of our strength? Or are we boasting in our weakness? Are we boasting in our weakness? Remember when the Apostle Paul had that had th- that thorn in the flesh, right? That he had had for years and he asked the Lord, he prayed to the Lord, he pleaded with God to take it away, right? And what, did, what was Jesus' words to the Apostle Paul? And Paul writes here, and lest I should be exalted among, above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Remember, he was taken up to the third heaven to see things that were indescribable that he was given this this access and of course that could puff one of us up right you know well i have special privileges i i'm the apostle paul and and god sees me uh, you know as as different and better and so he says here lest i be exalted above measure he knew the purpose of the thorn he knew there was a reason for it a thorn in the flesh was given to me, given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me under, to kind of humble me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And what did God say? What did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient for you. 
for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs and persecutions and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So are we boasting in our strength? You know, Jeremiah says, don't boast in your strength. The Apostle Paul tells us, boast in your weakness. Why? Because then you have to depend, you have to lean on God. You have to give it all to Jesus. And then it's all Him. And He gets all the glory. He gets all the boasting. When someone says to you, how are you getting through this difficult time? How are you dealing with this situation in your life? And you say, well, on my own I couldn't do it, but with God, all things are possible. Amen? All things are possible. I can only do it as I, as I become weak and He becomes strong in me. It's the only way. It's the only way it can happen. And then in Jeremiah 9.23 it says, or the rich boast of their riches. So sometimes it's material things that we boast about. You know, it's the, it's the new house or the new car. And listen, again, you know, I always want to you know, mitigate those things by saying there's nothing wrong with being rich, but the Bible tells us about, about making that our priority, making that striving for wealth and for riches, you know, our main focus in life. So, nor let the rich boast of their riches. So, you know, you talk about, you know, a dollar and a dream, right? The lotteries. That's maybe an old slogan from from years ago. But it's kind of the same thing, that your dreams can come true. Just lay down a dollar and you never know what can happen. In the mid-80s, lady from New Jersey won the lottery twice. She won in 1985 and 1986. She won a total of $5.4 million and then gambled it all away in Atlantic City. How many times do we see these stories? There's There's a man who won thirteen million dollars in the Florida lottery in nineteen ninety and he decided to take the money in installments, which a lot of people do. The installments were calculated at six hundred and sixty six thousand six hundred and sixty six dollars a year. I think that might have been a tip off that there was something wrong with those winnings because he lost all of it because he squandered it, never hired an accountant to pay his taxes. He was charged with tax fraud. And just before the case was going to go to trial, and this, this saddens me to say, he passed away. And so it's not riches, right? It's not riches, folks, that are going to get us what we think we want. We're not boasting in our riches. So... We're to pursue godliness, right? First Timothy tells us godliness with contentment is great gain. Right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And my former pastor used to say there's never a U-Haul following a hearse because you can't take it with you. And having food and clothing, with these we shall, we shall be content. And how, how, many are, how many people are just content with the little that we have? Not looking and striving for more. But those who desire to be rich, rich fall into temptation and a snare. And many into foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. Making money your God. Making riches your main focus. For which some have strayed from the faith. Even believers, even Christians, can get pulled away from God when they make other things idols in their life. Be very, very careful. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So, we're we're supposed to pursue godliness, faith, righteousness, all of those things, the fruits of the Spirit, not the lusts of the flesh, that we may live a life that's pleasing to God and really that's, that's, that's all we need. So those are the things we're not to boast in, not to boast in worldly wisdom or men's wisdom, not to boast in the things of the world, but to boast in the things of God. Jeremiah 9.24 tells us as it goes on here. But let the one who boasts, boasts about this. And here's our instructions. That they have, that they have understanding to know Me. That I am the Lord who exercises just kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So are we going to boast in God or boast of God Understanding. Understanding to know God. How important is that? That Hebrew word to understand is to be prudent, to be circumspect, to look at or to have insight, to give attention to, consider or ponder over. And understanding God or knowing God doesn't mean that we're going to have God figured out, right? That's impossible. Because He is holy He is God and we are flawed human beings. We'll never have Him figured out, which is a good thing because it always keeps us on our knees. It keeps us seeking Him and searching after Him and, and going to Him for answers. But that knowledge of God is understanding, being acquainted with Him. You know, when you say you know somebody, that means you're acquainted with that person, right? You know something's about them. You know people, you know some people maybe deeper on a deeper level than other people. But when you know someone, you're acquainted with them. You know something about them. You know their character. And the same thing with God. Knowing God. The action of knowing Him in the present and the past tense. To have knowledge of Him that continues for our entire life. It means we're acquainted with the character of God. That we could rightly say, what God's heart would do in a certain matter. What God's heart would do. We, we become like-minded because we're in a relationship with Him. Right? We abide 
with Christ, as it says in John 15. And when we abide, that means to remain close to. When we know someone, when we're acquainted with someone, if we want to get to know them better, what do we do? We stay close to them, right? We remain with them. We hang with them for a while. I want to get to know you. I want to know a little bit more about you. So what makes you tick? You know, what, what are your likes and your dislikes? And, you know, we do that with people all the time. But do we do that with God? Do we become acquainted with God? And I think that's important. I think, you know, as the, the polls and the surveys show us, less and less people desire to be acquainted with God, to know God. Even the ones who believe don't give it that much credence and make it a priority in their lives. But it's about relationship. How important is it to know God? I mean, isn't it the basis for everything that we do as, as Christians? Isn't it the foundation for not only our relationship with the Lord, how we walk in this world, but isn't it the foundation for all of our other relationships? They all flow out, right? Over, out of our relationship with God. Don't they? They should. People should see Christ in you as you relate to others. And that's a, that's a good thing. So, there are some, like I said, even in the polls that we see that don't want to know God, that deny God, that God exists, or that just put that on the back burner of their lives and don't consider it important. And even within the church, right? Even within the church. It says in Titus, this is speaking of people in the church. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So what happens here in the church? How does this apply to the body of Christ sometimes? Well, people sometimes get so caught up right, in doing for God that they forget about the relationship with God that's the most important thing. You know, there are a lot of people who maybe can't do. You know, maybe there's physical limitations um, or, or other things that prevent them from doing as much you know, working as much for the kingdom, but they, they, they don't love God any less. So it's not in our works that we show that we know God or that we have a relationship with God. Because there are, there are many in the church that profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him. Why? Because again, they're making it all about themselves. Right? Our works... Listen, they're, they're a double-edged sword sometimes. Yes, they, they are good for the kingdom and we, and we say that we're doing this for the Lord, but don't they make you feel good? And don't they give people, don't they cause people to come to you and say, oh, you, you know, what awesome work you did. Or, which is fine, but there, it's a double-edged sword. We have to be careful there. You know, I talk to the worship team all the, all the time about that because, you know, it, it's so tempting as we hear beautiful music and, and, and voices that we want to go up to the people and say, oh, 
Praise the Lord. That was so beautiful today. And, you know, it's, it's a temptation to say, well, yeah, that was, I worked hard or whatever. But it's about the Lord. And, and, you know, our worship team is so humble in that, you know, that they give the glory all to God. But we want to we show that in the church. We want to be careful about, about taking, the, taking the glory, t- boasting of ourselves, right? Because it's all about God. It's all about God. So what does God do? He exercises kindness, loving kindness. You know, it's not a word we really use uh, in our language, loving kindness. It's, it's greater than kindness. It's, it's kindness, kindness that, that stems from, or that comes from a place of love and respect and the desire for the best for that person. Justice. You know, justice, sometimes we don't want justice. We want mercy. But God uh, gives us both. You know, He has to be perfectly just. He has to be perfectly righteous. Or else He wouldn't be God. And so we, we desire that. We, wanna, we want justice we want righteousness we should and of course we want it for the wicked you know as we read through the psalms and we see many of the psalmists you know calling out to god to judge the wicked and we say yes we can we can get on board with that but we also know that god will judge perfectly across the board and that's okay loving kindness it's a it's something we exhibit to others around us and justice justice it's something that we want you know this this world is always crying out for justice right um you know but what do they really want they it seems like a lot of times they cry out for justice when they really want favoritism right they really want special treatment and not really justice because justice is across the board and it's also truthful. So that's godly justice. There's a human need for that. There's a desire for that. And something feels wrong, right? When when we feel like justice is being denied. And yet God also must mete out his perfect justice. His holiness won't allow him to turn a blind eye to the things in this world that, that are, go against Him, that go against His Word. And so, we see here that as we consider you know, what we are glorying in in this culture that we're in, you know, this kind of this self-centered culture of social media and all of that stuff, it might be a good time to kind of reevaluate where we are, you know, as a church, as believers individually in all of that. Where we stand, you know, do we post as much about God as we do of ourselves? And for those who don't use social media, you know, consider it in your, you know, in your conversations with people, you know, in your, in your correspondence with people. You know, is it as much about God or more about God than it is about you? 
So righteousness is that other thing that we see godly, godly character in righteousness. And that's, that's really something that's of God. That's a perfect standard. God's standard of righteousness is perfection. And so we ask then, how could anyone be saved if God's standard is perfection? And yet we see that even as imperfect people, there's a, there's a way that we can be righteous. And that only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And of course, then he still gets the glory, right? He still gets the boasting when that happens. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us as we kind of wrap up, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, this great exchange, right, of our sin upon Jesus on the cross, he took it all, past, present, future, for every person who ever lived. He took it all. That, and then He transferred His righteousness. What is His righteousness? His righteousness is perfection. And we know that we're not perfect. So how do we attain that except just falling on our knees, admitting that we're sinners? Again, in this culture that we live in, you know, that's a difficult thing. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you've fallen away. Admit that you're off the mark with God. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. Yeah. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news, the good news, and that's what the Gospel is, it's good news, is that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And you know, the Bible tells us that the Gospel can be an offense. And if you are concerned about being an offense, I would, I would pray that you consider the offense of allowing someone to go to hell for all eternity. How offensive that is. How offensive it is when you consider yourself a friend to that person to allow them to continue to go in a direction that they're going in that you know is not pleasing to God. So, I understand. I get it. We don't want to offend. But we also want to speak the truth in love. If we truly love people, and that's what we'll do, Give them that gospel message. Show them. Tell them that you're a sinner too. Admit to them those things. Let them see that you're not perfect. You're not trying to be better than them. But you want to give them the way to eternal life. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him in 
Him. And then in John 17, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That, you may, that they may know You. We talked about knowing God. How important is it to know God? It, it, it leads, how important is it? It's the basis for eternal life. Knowing God. Maybe we can start to make those poll numbers go up again a little bit. Just in our little sphere of influence. How important it is for us to have those personal relationships, those, those conversations with people that will lead people to back to a relationship with God. Because the world doesn't have the answers. It definitely doesn't have the answers. You know, we see more division in this, in this country and in this world. You know, along cultural lines, along, along lines of, of you know, believers and unbelievers, and um, red and blue, and you know, conservative and liberal, and all of those things that divide us. When the gospel message is a message of unity, that all may come into a relationship with God. And so this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, not one God of many, not one in, your, in a choice, kind of a uh, you know, cafeteria type you know, choice. One God, the one true God, if there's only one true God, then all the other gods are false gods. And Jesus Christ, His Son, whom you have sent to die on the cross for each and every person, that they may receive Him and have His righteousness transferred to their account. That when they stand in judgment before God, that they will see, that God will see Jesus' righteousness in them. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.